Good to see you, boys. See you. Yeah, and I guess last week's topic of vitamin D lended itself to a couple, a couple of times it popped up about inflammation and, and mm. how vitamin D would reduce inflammation. So I think it was a natural progression to talk about inflammation and, and various different types and, and things like that. So today's, yeah, today's discussion, we're going we're gonna to talk about sort of systemic inflammation and a, there's probably diff- two different types. So systemic inflammation or chronic inflammation is caused by long-term adverse probably lifestyle practices. And then we have acute inflammation, which is, is the body's reaction to an injury. For example, you, you've fallen over, you've rolled your ankle, you know, acute inflammation, the body's response is your ankle blows up, things come in to kind of clear out that inflammation and get it back to homeostasis or back to normal. So the, the one that we're, we're going to focus on today is chronic inflammation or systemic inflammation caused by those long-term adverse lifestyle practices, bad diet, smoking, excessive alcohol, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on all of those. I guess for the ancestral man, we, we talked about it really early on and that gene expression. So our, our bodies have the genes there to be sort of the perfect human specimen. And if we're not expressing those genes or we're not allowing those genes to flourish, and we talked about sort of the eight things we could do in our presidential president of the world podcast, those things are sort of good for optimal health. If we're not doing those things, that results in undesirable gene expression and, and long-term systemic inflammation. And mate, before um, uh, people listening to this go, ah, oh, inflammation, I'm just going to skip this one, not really interested. Okay, it's not a most exciting, sexy. Uh, sexy subject, but you, everyone is suffering some form of inflammation and you probably don't even know it. It is a common chronic, not well, for want of a better word, illness, in, our, in society, Every, everyone's got some sort of form of, of um, inflammation, either caused by, uh, by a, a diet, which we'll get into and so on. But I, I just read this, um, this interesting fact that the, the highest selling pharmaceutical drug in the world uh, over the last few years is a, is a product called Humira, H-U-M-I-R-A, which is an anti-inflammatory drug, the most, most, most paid for drug in the world. Okay, it's especially used for autoimmune conditions uh, like arthritis, um, Crohn's disease and so on. So that just gives you an example and, and maybe a COVID vaccine might have taken that over in the last couple of years. But over a number of years, that has been the world's most highest selling pharmaceutical drug for inflammation. Yeah, and I would, I would dare say that uh, prednisone or prednisolone, depending on what part of the world you come from, is right up there as well in terms of the amount of people taking it, which is used for those chronic sort of inflammatory. Is that a steroid? It is, it, yeah. yeah. It's a, it is a, uh, a yep. steroid, but... Well, you look at Nurofen, all of those ones, they're anti-inflammatory drugs, Voltaren. Yeah, exactly we're right, yeah. yeah. Pumping ourselves because we're so full of inflammation. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those ones. You hear about inflammation kicked around all the time, don't you? But no one really knows exactly what it is and how it affects us. And I, I think it's, it's worthwhile talking about this today because it's really important for long-term health. Yeah. And the last thing we want is to be living in a state of chronic inflammation because it's going to affect our quality of life. It's going to affect our longevity. It's going to affect our overall health at a, at a cellular level. And it's, it's not a nice way to live. Like, like when you look at the host of inflammatory diseases think of anything that finishes in the word itis yeah it's an inflammatory thing yeah you know arthritis bursitis any any itis inflammation yeah. and, and and it's it's prevalent it's so prevalent in our society today well, a lot it's of, something that's worth controlling yeah a lot of experts are saying that systemic inflammation or chronic inflammation is the root cause of all disease yeah I, I agree yeah and, and and to your point smitty i would totally agree that this is probably one of the most important health um, topics to be discussed and known I- I- out of anything it's it's such a such a, um, a, a massive effect on every other thing that in our body um, is inflammation and I think it's well worth knowing about and having a look into it it's sort of like health 101 this this is like almost your really foundational health advice which is that we want we want to have because we need inflammation, right? Like we, yep, like, like yeah, Jonesy yeah. spoke about, we have acute inflammation, we have chronic inflammation. If we didn't have acute inflammation, then every time you cut yourself, rolled your ankle, 
we wouldn't heal. So, so right. like we need that inflammatory pathway to signal our body to heal injury. But what we don't want is that chronic inflammatory sort of state where we just have high levels of sort of inflammatory uh, markers in our body all the time. It's, it's a terrible way to live. Yeah. So, And you know you've got inflammation. Often the symptoms are pain, heat, redness, uh, swelling, a loss of function, and that's quite easy to measure for um, ailments outside of the body. But those symptoms also apply internally as well. So you know, internal swelling, internal heat, internal pain, they are symptoms of some sort of inflammation within your body. All right, not just on the superficial uh, aspect of it, like you're rolling your ankle, you can see the effect of inflammation inside. You can't generally see it, and it's your body will will eventually the function of a body somewhere will uh, deteriorate in some aspect as a result of that inflammation. And it will present in it will present very, various yes. different ways. Yeah, like yep. we like Smithy was talking about there, the ancestral man. We need we need inflammation and our immune system response to inflammation is critical to our health right but it's not designed for chronic stresses it's designed for those type of stresses we're talking about there a twisted ankle you know to recover from a cut it's designed for that it's not designed to be chronically elevated with stress levels it, we're not we're not used to dealing with that and and you know that stimulus when it's chronic that's that's when it becomes harmful and i think one of the biggest ones we have touched on it before, but I don't know where we wanted to go with this, but I, I think one of the biggest ones is diet. So a, a diet high in grains, uh, vegetable oils, and chemi- chemically altered ingredients, especially the fats and that have minimal nutritional value, are causing oxidative stress and damage the body big time. So if we look at, we want to go back and we want to link it to our vitamin, vitamin D, from our last episode, I'm going, to give, I'm going to give you another study. So this was done in 1987, so it's going back a while. It's called Melanoma and Dietary Lipids. You can look it up uh, by Mackie et al., bringing back my Bachelor of Science degree here using the references. Ooh. Yep. Good man, good man. Um, so this one, this one talked about inflammation and an increase in inflammation and an increase in PUFA polyunsaturated fatty acids that we get from our various vegetable oils, fats, margarines, etc. A higher level of PUFA in the body increases the risk of melanoma. So often people talk about, you know, some of the experts, and I know you can look them up, various bits and pieces, but having excess vegetable oil or PUFAs in your system causes you to get sunburnt more easily and increases the risk based on that study of of melanoma. Wow. Yeah. So we have we have talked about that and and reducing or getting rid of completely eliminating vegetable oils. Yes. Is is a good start for that standard Australian or American diet, sad, you know, that's high in processed food. We so we talk about it all the time, getting back to nature, having Food close to its natural state as it would have been. Meat, eggs, fruit, fish, vegetables, a few nuts and seeds, those kind of things, and that have minimal been minimally processed. Yeah, you're spot on, CJ. I think it's very clear now that omega-6 uh, in balance with omega-3 is one of the main culprits for uh, increased inflammation, and we see so much of it now because of our, our processed food diet, like, if you eat food, like we do require omega-6, but if you eat food, then you'll get enough omega-6. There's no reason to add it to food or supplement it or get it in the form of seed oils. And if we can reduce that as much as possible, I think that's going to be one really good way to reduce that aspect of our sort of inflammatory burden. Because if we look at when we have high lipid levels in our bloodstream, if we combine that with high inflammation, then that's when we get the uptake of those sort of atherosclerotic plaques, like the 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 plaque in your arteries is in the presence of inflammation. So it's really important for us to reduce inflammation from all angles. And I think it's really clear now, all the sort of good functional doctors, all the people that are big in the wellness world, longevity, omega-6 fatty acids, vegetable oils, seed oils are probably the most important thing to control and one of the worst things you can consume. So 
your canola oils, your sunflower oils, your soy oils, uh, very, very bad. So one of the things that that ratio, you were talking about the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, we want to reduce that. And in the in the modern, is it about three to one? Did you? Yeah, look, I don't have the ratio uh, off the top of my head. I, but think it's, it's, I think it's three or four to one. So you want yeah, sort of... I mean, some of the really sort of wellness people are talking about like you want to get right up to like eight to one. You, you yeah, don't want yeah. it to be... Too you know, one to one, for example. Yeah. And and the important thing to remember is if you have a high intake of omega six in your diet, you can't correct that ratio by just taking more omega three. You need to reduce your yeah. omega six. Yes. So it's not a, a seesaw where you go, oh, well, I've had uh, two thousand milligrams of omega six fatty acids, so I'm going to equal that out with ten thousand milligrams of omega three. It doesn't work like that. you have to reduce your dietary intake of omega six. And a lot of foods that include omega six. Donuts, processed biscuits, those kind of things, very high in omega sixes. Yeah. So and, and foods that the average punter out there can increase their uh, intake of for omega threes would be what your avocados, fish, or eggs. The fish is really good. Yeah. yeah. yeah eggs. Yep. Uh, nuts. Yeah. So yep. we want to reduce. We're, we're kind of putting a sciencey little spin on it, but we want to reduce the bad processed foods and increase the good natural foods and. Ultimately, you will get omega-3. I know they talk about grass-fed fat profile of grass-fed, grass-finished beef is high in omega-3. Mm. Granted, it's not quite at the level of fish, but you know we've always been told we're all around the same age as young fellas, you know, cut that fat off. What are you doing? Don't eat that. It's not good for you. But, you know, there, there are some good nutrient benefits from eating good grass-finished beef. Mm. The omega-3 content of the of the fat is high. Yeah. So I guess when I was getting that with that omega-6 thing, is it, you know, a, a high insulin-producing diet or a, that carb cycle that we've talked about where we have, a, we have a meal high in carbohydrates, the insulin comes in to the blood to clear out the excess glucose. It does that stores the excess calories or the excess glucose as fat. And that cycle takes about sort of three hours. And after that three hours, you're hungry again. You haven't eaten enough protein or uh, fat to be satiated, to reduce the hormones that tell you you're hungry or you're full satiated. And that sort of excess storage or the storage of the omega-6 is, you know, is, is resulting in excess fluid in the cells and bloating and being puffy so if we can reduce the inflammation it's going to increase our weight loss and we're going to you know get rid of some of that that bloat and the puffy skin and less fluid retention so just while you're on with the glucose mate i read somewhere that um increased glucose in the blood actually damages there's this thin cell cell layer in your arteries and so the extra glucose in the blood um damages that um thin cell layer uh, and the body heals it by creating a clot. Yes. And so then from that clot, uh, inflammation is caused around that area. Um, and then before you know it, um, that clot you know, could could break off and, and cause other, other problems. But therein lies just one little scenario of inflammation caused by too much glucose in the blood system. Well, that's, that's, that's the kind of newish theory on, on heart disease, isn't it? You know, we, we talked about it before with cholesterol and... Cholesterol often shows up in that little that little inflammation and damage, and in the artery. And we people think, oh well, cholesterol's there; it must be the reason it's getting it's clogging the arteries. But it's possibly the inflammation that's doing that, and the things that are coming in. So the macrophages come in to clear out that, infl- um, you know, that damage, yep. and they produce a scar. So you know, scarring tissue comes you know in the artery yep. and the cyst, the the inflammation is probably from something else and the cholesterol is coming in to help clean that up yep yeah so yeah possible possible cause of heart disease is the systemic inflammation in the body rather than having excess amounts of cholesterol the cholesterol is there to help clear the inflammation out mm. rather than it being the cause of the inflammation so that's another that's another interesting uh, hypothesis on on heart disease, it being more of an inflammatory disorder rather than it being high levels of cholesterol. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. 
which is worth us sort of exploring a little bit more there, boys, which is that the body, and, and this is something we've all discussed regularly, is an amazing mechanism. You know, it's, it's, it's the most intelligent and incredible computer that we will ever get to be involved with. And it is always communicating innately with us in order to return us to that position of, of balance and homeostasis. And I think that a lot of these signs and signals are the body's way of communicating with us innately to let us know that, that things aren't in the position that they should be in, you know, and, and I love to play on words with words like disease, you know, like, Disease is just dis-ease in the body. It's, it's not in a position of harmony. It's communicating with you as, it's, as a vessel to let you know that it isn't where it needs to be. And I think that inflammation is, or, or, or chronic inflammation rather, is potentially a position of health that's been ignored repeatedly so you know the body just doesn't develop chronic inflammation as a starting point you know if we look at uh i don't know the example of you know someone who might have diarrhea or something like that a gastrointestinal issue might start out with you know they, they have a poor response to food and that poor response to food uh, a particular food causes them to, um, to have a little bit of diarrhea. Well, if that, if that response to that food choice goes ignored, it may evolve into, you know, that, that constant irritation of the bowel could develop into, um, an irritable bowel style response. And then if you continue to ignore it, the inflammation continues to increase, uh, you may develop some acid reflux and, and so on and on it goes. But I think that the amazing thing here is that the body is always communicating with us. It's, it's, it's innate design is to return us back to health and we just have to be able to listen to it. That's yeah. A good good point. point, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, morning. and you know, we, we talked about um, mental health a few episodes back and we haven't even really touched on cortisol with regards to inflammation and, and Jonesy, you're probably, um, you know, well read up on that. I mean, cortisol is a hormone. It's a, it's an inflammatory or a, a main inflammatory sort of uh, related hormone. Well, I'll stop you there. Stressor. Cortisol is the most potent anti-inflammatory hormone that we have in our body, believe it or not. Yeah. So cortisol is thought of as a stress hormone in a chronic state, but it actually has anti-inflammatory properties. Right. In, a, in the correct balance. So okay. Cor- so cortisol uh, sort of involved with our um, you know regulation of sleep and wakefulness and our... Um, sort of cycles and things like that, but cortisol is caused by too much cortisol due to chronic stress. So what what I read was, and I was trying to get my head around this, is when you're in a constant stage of chronic stress, so you're always stressed out, your your body releases or produces um, a lot of cortisol, but it's like insulin. So when there's too much, the cortisol receptors become resistant to uh, to recognizing that cortisol in the blood. Spot on. So yeah. when it's chronic. Bad. Yes. 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 That, that's what I was sort of getting at. So once again, all about balance. Yeah. So a lack of cortisol due to ongoing stress can be a cause of inflammation. Mm. Yeah. You lose all those beneficial properties of correctly cycling your cortisol. We say like our war, our war veterans or our, our soldiers over at war, uh, you know, they're, they're in a scenario where they, they aren't able to come off that spike in cortisol you know they're if they're in a a combat style situation and they're forced to be super vigilant for you know not not the you know two or three hours like we're supposed to as the ancestral man but you know they may may have to be in high levels of cortisol for months yeah, I mean, even people that just have chronic stress from their everyday lifestyle, yeah, yeah, so whether yeah. you're a busy yeah, sure. executive yeah. or you're a stressed-out parent, yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of it comes into sleep deprivation as well. So you're yeah. chronically sleep-deprived and you're going to get the, a high level of those uh, stress hormones and then you're, you, you're going to get that sort of detrimental effect of having high cortisol levels, which we which we really want to avoid. And I think, uh, Rue, was it you talking about meditation in part of our uh, yep. President of the World series? Mm-hmm. Obviously, fantastic way to reduce cortisol levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just going back to Mickey's point about the soldiers, I mean, they might be able to uh, 
have more controlled cortisol production, mm-hmm. yeah, because they're, they're sort of they they are in a, a longer period of a stressful environment, but the the so the, well trained to do it. Yes, but cortisol is also responsible for like the, the bodily functions with the fight or flight mechanism. Yeah, so yep. um, a soldier would probably uh, produce cortisol at those higher levels when they are in a moment of of fight or flight or, or, or in a stressful situation. Um, if they were in a fight or flight situation ongoing, then yes, they would find a problem. So you, you'd probably find that a, an everyday person suffering just the stresses of everyday life, like you said, is probably more prone to that cortisol issue than maybe a soldier at war. I don't know. Yeah. Um, a soldier at war's stressors might go up and down, up and down quite, you know, quite um, regularly. Whereas a person on a constant high level of stress is going to suffer that cortisol issue and therefore inflammation more so. Yeah, yeah, super important. Mm. Yeah. And just very briefly, Rue, getting back to what you were talking about with, with glucose, glucose is, like you said, incredibly inflammatory on your vessel walls. And it takes me back to when I was a, when I was a paramedic, we used to infuse uh, glucose or, or dextrose, you know, different form of sugar into people's veins when they'd had a, a, a period of uh, hypoglycemia. So diabetic patients, uh, if they were unconscious and, and we had a lot of trouble uh, getting their blood sugar levels restored, then we used to infuse um, glucose or dextrose. But it's incredibly inflammatory, and we used to have to be very, very careful that we were in the vein before we infused it and that we infused at the right ratio. Otherwise, you could cause a hell of a lot of damage by doing it incorrectly. That's how inflammatory glucose is. Wow. And so for all those people out there who you know, maybe have diabetes and think it's not a big deal, it's a huge deal. Yeah. If your vessels are getting that constant high level of glucose all the time, causing that inflammatory damage and all the microclotting and stuff that goes on with it and the reduced blood flow it's really really bad so so glucose is incredibly bad for your vessel walls and your, wow. your inf- inflammation levels interesting yeah well, that's Ooh. that that brings up so i wanted to sort of go back to well, i wanted to talk about various different things that cause systemic inflammation so i've got we talked about diet. We could probably continue talking about that, but we have talked about it before. We're talking about having increased stress, elevated cortisol all the time. We were talking about sort of highly, highly strung corporate type, you know, working all the time, 60, 70 hours a week. You know, it could be, could be new parents not getting enough sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one that I'm not sure a lot of people talk about in having systemic inflammation is is chronic exercise. So I know I know Mickey Mack being a former Ironman high level Ironman triathlete, and I've I've done several marathons. And going going back to my sports science days, I don't know a couple of guys Volek and Finney. I don't know did you come across them during your studies? Anyway, so Volek and Finney are pretty big in the um, in the sports science world. I remember them from twenty five years ago when I did my degree, but they've got a couple of really good books and one's called The Art and Science of Low Carb Living and the other one's called The Art and Science of Low Carb Performance and they talk about, the, the general gist is, you know, a low carbohydrate diet produces less insulin, less glucose and therefore is a anti-inflammatory diet. Yep. Um, so, and their performance one is sort of, Chronic exercise is bad, so I don't know. I hope I'm not offending Mick with his uh, with his long distance running, but those those exercises that we're doing day in day out, and I would say that training for an Ironman triathlete would be one of these chronic exercises that is is, is promoting systemic inflammation. So, you know, we, we did talk about those types of exercises that we can do: sprint a little bit, lift heavy things. And, you know, go for a longer run or walk and make sure we're getting adequate recovery and rest. And so rest, we could talk about sleep being probably one of the biggest things to help reduce systemic inflammation. But one of the things I think that is big in the world currently is, you know, we're we're doing all these things where we're working nine to five, then we're going out or we're going out in the morning, we're doing a 10K run and we're doing that day after day. And that stuff that's sort of chronic exercise and, and chronic stress is, is another reason why too frequently, 
too often and we're not letting our bodies recover is a, is another one. I don't, know how, I don't know how everyone feels about that or, or whether it was something that people had thought about, but definitely, you know, short bouts of exercise for an hour or so a day, maybe having a day off, you know, four to five times a week, I think is ideal. Doing something every day, chronically two or three hours is probably is not ideal and that's causing systemic inflammation in the body. And Jonesy, this is, this is one that um, that I've actually, since I've sort of stopped racing so seriously, I've I've explored a little bit more closely and it, and it came about more from necessity. Yeah. Did you feel um, way better when you stopped racing? I know when I stopped running and now I don't really do much more than a 5 or 10K run, but when I was doing the big ones, I felt terrible. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm back up running probably 70, 75 Ks a week, but I'm only running now. Uh, whereas before when I was training for Ironman, you know, I was probably, I, I was training in, in peak training around 25 hours a week. And, you know, a long bike day for me could have been six or seven hours. And I think I realized... <laughs> That's getting chronic, in it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I realized the impact on my body uh, the last time I headed over to the Worlds in Hawaii. Um, at about eight weeks out, uh, I, I, I got a virus and, you know, it was, it was heading into the world championships. Like, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of taking a day or two off to recover, but one week, one day, a few days turned into a, a week, turned into a couple of weeks. And, and as a high performing athlete, you, you start to get a bit of a panic on because you're like, well, I'm six weeks out now, tapers two weeks, I've got four weeks left. And, I actually ended up in hospital and I, I, you know, there was some discussion with my wife and my mum and dad about whether I should even be going. And in the end, I, you know, convinced them I'd be fine, got over there and long story short, body completely shut down on me. And, and I actually lost nine kilos on the day. And uh, I, I got to a point where my body started to reject any electrolytes and in a race that goes for, you know, eight, uh, eight to nine and a half hours, you need to be able to consume, consume electrolytes in order to keep your body going in 90% humidity and, you know, 30 to 35 degrees Celsius. So I, I, I was unable to take any nutrition on board for after pretty much two hours into the race it took me a year and a half when I got back to be able to, to stomach electrolytes after that. Wow. And it wasn't, wasn't something I considered in depth for me trying to get back to racing. And it was just a part of a process. And, you know, I, I worked with a number of different sport doctors, but now some, you know, five or six years down the line being semi removed from the sport, I, I am, looking at these impacts on my body and I'm inclined to agree, you know, I, I don't, I, I think it would be laughing in the face of common sense to say that these endurance type sports, Ironmans, um, long endurance running, cycling, ultramarathon, whatever, that they're good for the body, you know, I, and I've asked myself, I've done a lot of journaling on this. Well, you know, why did I do it? And, and, and I think, you know what it is it, for me, it's the mental part of it it's 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 more it was more beneficial to me to be going out and tackling those challenges mentally and having the experience i, I gave that more weight than what i did the negatives on on the impacts of the body and, and i think a lot of people would fit in that category as well you love the challenge mate yeah it was the challenge and also you know we've all got our own different things that we love to do that keeps us, you know, keeps us mentally ticking along. Um, you know, for me, running has always been that from the time I was a young kid. And, you know, a 20-minute run or some sprints down the oval just doesn't do it for me as much as if I go run for 90 minutes. Um, and so, you know, it, it is this balance, isn't it, of, of when does it become too much and we're still, you know, achieving and doing things that, you know, are fulfilling us. But rest and recovery, right? So if you're doing 90 minutes, you're probably not doing that four, five, six days in a row anymore. And I, 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 
I understand the lure of, you know, the Ironman and the, the marathon. It's, it's a bit of a challenge. It's completing something. It's, I just think once you start doing it day in, day out for years on end is, is when it becomes an issue. And I guess those serious competitors, though, on their professionalism, have other things in place to counteract the negative or the chronic effects of that, that exercise regime. So they are more um, strict on their sleep routines, their nutrition, um, their, any supplementation, their rest, the recovery. They are That's a, a, a whole separate serious protocol that they apply to that whole training regime. Yeah, well that, that's a good point. So I was going to ask you, Mickey, and I'll get back to that route, but did you often find that you were often sick? when you were exercising that way? I, I certainly always felt I was on the, on, on the threshold of, of, of something, whether yeah. it was injury or whether it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I explained this to my wife, you know, when she would ask me why, you know, why do you do it? And I, and, I, and there's something about being as fit as what I was at that time. And, and the feeling of sort of, you just felt superhuman. You felt like you could do anything. But no, the balance of that was you always felt like, you know, you could get sick or, or there, there was an injury just around the corner. Interestingly, um, just sort of touching on what Rue said then is a lot of the, a lot of the um, sort of professionals from the late 80s, early 90s, one of the, you know, Greg Welsh, one of the most um, celebrated uh, endurance triathletes in Australian history, He's actually developed a heart arrhythmia now. So there's there's an example of sort of this potentially this chronic stress or chronic inflammation um, over a number of years on his heart, which which is now causing this irregularity. And it's actually something that's becoming very common uh, in in a lot of these athletes in this sport. So yeah. a lot of these things won't actually show up until later on. It's interesting you mentioned those endurance athletes from the eighties because one of the one of the godfathers, I guess, of fat for fuel, using you know your fats or, or dietary fats and your fat storage, was a guy called Mark Allen. Do you do you know much about him, Mickey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so he he had this he he had this sort of you know chronic exercise and always using you know the gels and the glucose and and carbohydrates to fuel his performance and then sort of switched it on his head and got some coaching about using fat and went to a more of a high fat, low carb diet. And he dominated till into his thirties and forties, I would have thought. Yeah, he did. He, he was, well, he's one of the gods of, of the island over there. Mm. Um, and, and he had a, an incredibly su- successful career. I think that th- this this is the real negotiation point and the interesting part in this and something you and I have spoken about, Jonesy, is that fat adaptation and racing mm. on fat and yeah. why are more people not doing it, you know? Um, and I don't know if it's because it hasn't been fully explored, but if we looked at the ratios or the percentages of athletes still competing on carbohydrates and sugars comparatively to, to fats, um, you know, I think it would still be heavily weighted the other way. You know, most of the athletes that I'm still connecting with, they're still utilizing a lot of the gels and all of these sorts of things. But I think the interesting assessment point will come like we're sort of indicating with these long-term chronic stresses down the track. What, you know, what is, what is his ability to live his life as a 55, 60, 65, 70-year-old What's his inflammation like? What are his knees like? What are his ankles like comparatively to how these other people have fueled their bodies? I think it'll be a really interesting point of assessment. Mm. Mm. So going back to that race, mate, did you win it? Not even close. Wrong answer. Weak bastard. (laughs) (laughs) So what other other things are we we talking about that that are causing systemic inflammation, do you think? What about allergies? Allergies is um, a big cause of inflammation and, and allergies uh, sort of get, um, well, you know, things that cause allergies get demonised as the problem of inflammation, whereas in fact it's just our body's reaction to that that um, food or whatever or even you know, environmental 
um, factor. It's just our body responding to it. And uh, there's, a, there's a few things that um, the average punter could take away if they are suffering inflammation with regards to their diet. I mean, we're all pretty well uh, versed on um, dairy and gluten allergies. Uh, but often, so yeah, so people having that, um, that casein sort of what do you call it protein. intolerance yeah. intolerance yes it can cause inflammation but yeah. there's also a thing uh, a product called lectins which is in um in uh, plant foods and it's it's the the plant self-defense mechanism and that that product there is a thing that can um, make a body respond in an inflammatory way when it's consumed mm. and so point, yeah. so those uh, lectins appear in those things called nightshades which are like tomatoes Eggplants, um, even some potatoes, uh, legumes. So, like your um, your peanuts, lentils, and I think just food allergies and intolerances in general. Like mm. everyone's going to have different, especially intolerances, which can be very hard to to quantify and to realise that you have. Mm. I think a lot of people, unless you do an elimination diet or you go and do some uh, IgG testing, which is uh, sort of more beneficial for looking at food intolerances. I think a lot of people are unaware that a food that they're eating, which doesn't really have a massive overt effect when you eat it, but it might have a subtle inflammatory effect. And if you're consuming it a lot, a lot, yeah. and definitely you touched on like the main ones, like your dairy, your grains, yep. uh, potentially your lectins, but a whole bunch of other things. Um, it can really be a bit of a silent assassin where you might be consuming that every day or regularly in your diet. And it's yep. always just giving you that little inflammatory burden that you're not aware of yeah so, and, and we probably don't eat a lot of these every day in our diet but things um like spinach rhubarb soy almonds and beets um they they're oxalates and oxalates are things that sort of contribute to um to stones so your kidney stones your gallbladder stones those sort of things so things hardening um as a result of inflammation uh, i found that quite interesting you know that that, that food and you know, allergies are a big one of, of information. And I've often thought that red wine, because I suffer sinus, and I'm still yet to identify what causes sinus. I've, I've tried going off dairy. I've tried, I, I don't eat the, I don't eat grains. I don't eat breads or anything like that. But I still suffer sort of sinuses, chronic sinus issues. Well, that, that's a histamine response, isn't it? Yeah, to something. It, it sure is, yeah. yeah. I thought I thought, I thought red wine might have caused it because yeah. often I'll wake up in the morning, you know, and pe- other people might realise that. You have a night on the red wine and you're really sort of blocked up. Yeah. Well, I think alcohol is a chronic stressor. You know, if you're yeah. constantly having alcohol, your your liver needs to process that. And it's, it is a toxin, right? you got to – your liver does, does have to process that. So if – I don't know whether it's, it's something that in the red wine that's causing you an issue, but – Alcohol in general is, yeah. is another one. That but then I read that the red, as, yeah. red wine is actually um, a, a reduces inflammation because of the tannin. So tannin is a an anti-inflammatory uh, product. But you you, you talk. I think tannins. Correct me if I'm wrong, someone. But tannins are also a plant defense mechanism. Okay. Yep. Like a lectin, so right. that they can cause some people grief yeah yeah and i mean also if you want tannins you can have black tea and stuff like that so mm. you don't necessarily have to consume the alcohol component of yep. um red wine yeah and, and also with red wine look at things like the, the pesticides and the additives that are well, in that's the red another wine. one isn't so it? you got your, in your, anything yeah you got your sulfites in there as well yeah, and yeah. You, a lot of them have the preservative 220 in them yeah so you could play around with looking at like an organic uh red wine maybe that didn't have yep. any of those uh sort of pesticides and maybe preservatives in them a lot of people react to the sulfites in red wine yeah, like if anyone can find a nice-tasting organic red wine that doesn't taste like shit, let me know. I've got one, I got <laughs> yeah. one mate. I'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of the brand off the top of my head, but I can picture the label. Okay. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, so, mate. Um, There's one that's in a lot of the local ones now, Hero of Zero. And okay. it's got on the label, no 220. Yeah. yeah, right. So they're talking about no preservatives, no sulfites in it. And that's that's at all the major major brands now where you get your liqueur. Yep. And it's uh, it's not super expensive. Some of them are pushing twenty, twenty five bucks a bottle, but that one's sort of fifteen. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think 15. there's one called Farmhand. We've gotten a few times, like thirteen bucks a bottle, maybe yeah. for a little bottle of Shiraz or something. So, yeah, uh, there's there's definitely options around. It's getting better every day as people's sort of acceptance and uh, desire for organic stuff seems to be increasing. So, well, I have I have noticed when I go into those places to get those, they used to be in their own little section, and now they are. Maybe they're that prolific that they're now yeah, most okay. places that you've got to search through all the standard bottles to try and find it. Gotcha. So which is which is a good thing, right? It's mm. it's now starting to get a little bit mainstream that 
these things people are knowing now are causing issues. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, so guys, we've covered some really important ones here. So we've spoken about uh, obviously your omega-6s, your cortisol, your glucose, uh, sort of food allergies and intolerances. Uh, we touched on vitamin D sort of leading in from last week's podcast. I've, I've got one that's a little bit, you don't hear it as much in the conversation around inflammation, and that's iron levels. Have you guys mm. come across yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge one. Yeah. Yep. Too much iron? Too much iron, and especially in men. So, so anse- Ancestrally, as a, as a man and people in general, we, there would have been a lot of scuffles, I reckon. Yeah, probably bleeding and a little bit. A lot of bleeding, yep. and then sort of your, your bloodletting a little bit. Yes. And then your iron levels go down. So I reckon we don't do that a lot anymore. And one of the good ways to get rid of it is is donating blood. Really good. Mm. Yeah, it's free. Yeah, okay. It's free, yeah. Some parts of the world, they pay you. Yeah. Or you can just go out for a night out in Northbridge. Yeah. <laughs> Punch on. Yeah. 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 Sorry, we, I'll cut just, you off there. No, honey, no, but just take up some adrenaline sports, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mountain biking is good for that, I yeah. can tell yeah. you. No, that's a good point, Smitty. Yeah. But, I mean, if your iron levels are too high, then you're going to generate hydroxyl free radicals, which are like the most devastating inflammatory molecule in your body. So... For people who are supplementing with iron, or or if people have hemochromatosis, which is a, a natural sort of like overload of iron, you really want to make sure that you're uh, giving blood. And if you're supplementing with iron, really make sure you're not you're not getting too much. It's really worthwhile getting tested because that's going to really prematurely age you. And those hydroxyl free radicals can't really be broken down. They run absolute havoc through your body. Mm. Even if you're doing, some people even talk about going as far as if you're cooking with like an iron skillet. Um, no, cooking you, was you, on my list, yeah. You, you can, you know, possibly be getting too much iron because iron is fortified in a lot of foods as well. A lot of cereals and things like that are fortified with iron and we're all obsessed with having high iron levels, but it's another one of those ones where enough is good, not enough is not good, too much is super, super bad. It's yeah. incredibly bad for you. Yeah. So if your iron levels are high, please go and give blood. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the blood banks need it. Yep. And you definitely don't want to be rocking around with mm. too much iron. So don't supplement unless you really need it. Well, that, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but there are links to excess iron and increases in heart disease. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so you, you talked about cooking before, Maddie, and I wanted to bring that up with, with regards to high temperature cooking. So you were talking about using the, the cooking pan and it leaching iron into your food and it being excess and a way to get excess iron and that obviously causes inflammation. But I wanted to talk about sort of the way we cooked our food and using prolonged excessive high temperatures and using vegetable oils and oils that have a high smoke point that, that are already chemically treated. So our vegetable oils are, you know, you can look it up on the internet. It's, it's horrendous. Look up how canola oil is made. They're using what are already rancid oils, stabilizing it with chemicals and heat treating it so that we can, we can then use it. So that, that causes sort of oxidative stress and oxidative issues for the body. And then we're sort of using that oil to cook it or cook our food in. It's sort of, there's, there's these things called advanced glycation end products or ages the glycotoxins, so they accelerate aging and they're sort of a, like a chain reaction from or between sort of glucose and, and, and proteins. And we can we, we produce these glycation end products or oxidative stress from sort of a pattern of hyperglycemia or excess glucose in the bloodstream. We can do that internally or externally. We can do that by prolonged or excessive cooking in these rancid heat treated vegetable oils and and they are sort of a they're causing sort of cellular damage promote oxidization and inflammation and and the one of the major contributors to accelerated aging so one way to reduce that is to cook on low temperature and my buddies that are all low slow cooking at 100 degrees celsius for eight or nine hours uh, that's in their, you know, in their Webers with the charcoal, you know, that's a uh, positive promotion for that and to reduce sort of really high temperature or stop us using high temperature 
chemically treated oils to cook our foods in. That that would be another one I would say to get rid of. You, I mean, I've, we've talked about it before, getting rid of those vegetable oils, but getting rid of high cooking temperatures and using those oils in our cooking. You definitely don't want to be hitting a uh, smoke point, do you? So if you've got a pan and it's smoking or a barbie and it's smoking up, that's absolutely not going to be your best course no. of action. Yep. Not everyone can cook for eight hours low and slow every day, but there are ways that we can get around that, sort of using butter or tallow or ghee to coconut cook. Oil. Coconut oil. Avocado oil is another good one. Even olive oil. There's, I there's think olive oil is so, so not extra bad. virgin olive oil has quite a low smoke yeah. point, but if you just use normal olive oil and yep. you're sensible about the heat you put into it, uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, we don't yep. want to get it too hot. That's No. Yeah. What about gut health? Surely having um, affected gut biome got to cause inflammation. Definitely. You've got irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, ulcers, gastritis, those things formed by uh, poor gut health. I even read somewhere that, you know, even just being constipated as a result of poor gut uh, digestion, so constipation, you've got blockage. Uh, at a blockage, inflammation occurs in, in you know, your colon. Uh, so it, it, it pays... To, to you know, pay attention to your gut health as well and eating all those good foods. And a lot of those conditions I just mentioned there, um, apparently um, cabbage is a great uh, fix for, uh, particularly in a sauerkraut form. But yeah, um, yeah. cabbage has those properties that can help uh, assist with those inflammations of the, of the gut. Wow. Mm. Yes, all, all your cruciferous-type uh, vegetables, super, super good. And yeah. like you said, your sauerkrauts, um, kimchi the fermented ones, Really good. Yeah, and sauerkraut's just so easy. You can buy it already made at the shop in a jar. Yeah, I love it. Kimchi. It's beautiful. I have kimchi yeah. on my eggs in the morning. I have uh, eggs yeah. and avocado and I often put a bit of kimchi or sauerkraut. I bloody love it. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. yeah. Such an easy fix. What do you yeah. reckon, Mick? Yeah, our kids absolutely love the sauerkraut. Absolutely smash it. We uh, we go through tubs of it every week. Uh, so I think uh, I think taking in that consideration of, of your gut health is, is really, really important as well. Mm. Yeah, any, any fermented food is going to be good for your gut. Yes. Yeah. So that's probably a, we could probably do a whole podcast on that one. Too. Yeah. Oh, gut health's a big one, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yeah, That'd be yeah. a really good one to sink our teeth into at some stage. Yeah. And so what about um, just your chronic infections as well? So generally, some some infections like your herpes virus, um, uh, lupus, which is like a um, an immune system attacking joints and and skin and and blood cells and heart and that sort of thing. Those sort of little infections that that are sort of like sort of just ticking away there quietly, bubbling away uh, in our body, and then they sort of emerge during times of stress and things like that. They, they are also a cause of, of inflammation. Hmm. Yeah, they sure are. Yeah. So I guess the, the big one is, and, and one of my next questions would, would be if we, I don't know, we can maybe circle back to that one if we need to, but, you know, what can we do? to stop these chronic stresses mm. and, and like you're talking about there, are, are they caused by stress? So if, if there's if there's ways that we can reduce our stress or are, or are they caused by diet or are they caused by environment? So those kind of things, you know, what can we do to to get rid of these these chronic inflammations? And I mean, we didn't even talk about smoking and maybe that's a given. Like oh, smoking. Like pollutants. Pollutants. Yeah, environmental pollutants. Yeah, environmental <laughs> yeah. toxins. Yeah. Even if you look at sort of plastics and, yeah. Yeah. you know, Glyphosate spray and all the, oh, you know there, is, even there are on those. so many things. Yeah, but I guess on the things that we have touched about, touched on about you know sort of improving diet, reducing our stress, and that would help with those sort of chronic inflammations you're talking about there. And just, yeah. just don't skim over diet. Just I think what Smitty touched on before about the vitamin D, and we spoke about that in the last podcast. Oh, well, vitamin D. That yeah. would that would probably be your number one. Uh, what is it? Vitamin D three. And and your and your K vitamin K two K two yeah um, are, are your your best ways taken in, in, a, in a considerable dose yeah because uh, they remove um, calcium from the blood um, and and joints and and send them back into the bones where they're needed uh, therefore reducing inflammation uh, so yeah vitamin D again such yeah, an important important mineral yeah. Yeah. yeah but I mean even if you talked about supplementation could you talk about sort of glutathione and you know they talk about that one being superman of antioxidants you know yeah yeah that's probably something you can touch on at a later 
later stage, but yeah, like, or, or another time. Like just briefly, I'll, I'll touch on the glutathione, and if you want to even go one step further back from glutathione and just get your body to produce more of its own endogenous glutathione, one of the absolute superfoods for uh, reducing inflammation uh, is is broccoli seed sprouts, like broccoli sprouts. Yeah. So they contain a compound called sulforaphane. And that is just an absolutely amazing uh, compound for sort of uh, detox and knocking down inflammation. Wow. So, so hang on, mate. A broccoli what? So how do, I, how do I get that? Where do I so, find it? So essentially, so uh, my wife and I have done this. We, we've been uh, taking sulforaphane or broccoli sprouts on and off uh, for a while. So what we did is we, we sent away to an organic seed uh, store and they sent us some broccoli seed sprouts. Yeah. It was very inexpensive. It was, say, about 12 Australian dollars for a giant bag, which would have made us a year's supply of broccoli sprouts. And you can sprout them on your, your kitchen bench. And essentially they look like a, an alfalfa sprout or any sort of sprout that you would eat. Okay. So you put these little seeds on uh, either some cotton wool that's moist or a tray and you keep them wet for a few days and they grow and then you eat them. But they're very high in this uh, compound that's sort of found in cruciferous vegetables called sulforaphane. And it's an absolutely superstar uh, sort of molecule of uh, in- improving uh, detoxification and reducing inflammation. Wow. And what it does is it stimulates something called your NRF2 pathway, which is a a genetic pathway that we can stimulate and it'll massively upregulate your uh, endogenous, so your natural body's production of things like glutathione and your sort of anti-inflammatory compounds. So if you want an inexpensive, non-pharmaceutical way of really supercharging your immune system, knocking down your inflammation, uh, broccoli sprouts. You can actually buy uh, supplements with sulforaphane in them, but they're quite expensive. Um, Make them yourself. Sprouts and broccoli sprouts. Other sprouts yeah, are good as well, natural. but particularly broccoli seed sprouts. Yep. And uh, in terms of another really good uh, supplement, which is a bit of a superstar in the wellness world now, is uh, molecular hydrogen. I don't know if you guys have come across molecular hydrogen mm-hmm. tablets. Again, molecular hydrogen, absolutely amazing at sort of balancing the, the redox pathways in your body, so reduction oxidization. So that's the two sides of the, the seesaw, if you will. So we've got reduction and oxidization. The two, the two are supposed to balance each other out. And uh, biochemistry here. Yeah, look, nice. molecular hydrogen is absolutely amazing because it'll, unlike a pure uh, antioxidant like vitamin C, molecular hydrogen will just find that perfect balance, but it won't tip you over the scale because you can take too much vitamin C and have, have too many effects that way. You don't want to, yeah. you don't want to knock off. Uh, you don't want to take too much vitamin C. So, molecular hydrogen is a little bit expensive, but that also stimulates our NRF two pathway and has. Absolutely amazing health benefits. The one downside is it is it is costly. But yeah, I think okay. it's the absolute best thing out there you could take for wellness if you were really serious and you didn't mind spending a bit of money. And so you mentioned vitamin C. That's also a good anti-inflammatory. Uh, yeah, it's an antioxidant, so yeah. it'll, it'll it'll help with uh, yeah. sort of balancing out that inflammation in your body and things like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I've found that um, I've I take um, uh, spirulina. And chlorella, yeah, uh, supplementations, and and I found that since I've been on those, I've reckon about five or six years, I've never had a flu. I mean, right. I, I got COVID, um, but other than that, I don't reckon I've ever had it. I just I put it down Are to they those. more for a detox. I thought they're they're good an for binding to toxins to get rid of them from yeah, your body. They are, yeah, yeah. yeah well, they're an, well, an I guess antioxidant. If, well, if you're getting rid of toxins, then you're reducing your inflammation, aren't you? So exactly. Detox and uh, controlling inflammation sort of go hand in yeah, hand, don't they? Like yeah. I think there's definitely a, a chat for us in in like methods for detox. Yeah, but it really yeah. is a hand in hand thing. If you're reducing your detox, like you say, Roo, you're going to reduce that inflammatory burden. So yeah, yeah. And and what about we had a full um, episode on on it in previous podcasts is fasting. Yeah, oh, the, oh, the benefits yeah, of well, fasting. Um, yeah, for uh, for inflammation. Um, you know, uh, regular intermittent fasting and also prolonged fasting. Yeah. Um, fasting, I, I read somewhere, reduces chronic inflammation by turning off certain genes that are related. You mentioned yeah. genes before, yeah. mate, um, that are related to inflammation. That turns those off um, when, you, when you're fasting. Uh, it increases your anti- antioxidant production uh, and decreases stress of your adrenal glands. So mm. uh, some fasting on a regular basis can be an excellent way to decrease your well it just gives your body something else to do rather than to always be processing food and it gives your body a, a reset yeah it gives you a chance to yeah yeah stop having to do something focus on fixing fixing things and once again it's free it's free 
Yeah. We haven't even talked about sleep either and how sleep can reduce inflammation or increase it, depending on how you look at it. But that's yeah, another an one. Interesting topic. Definitely sleep. Yeah. We'll definitely dive into that one, I think. Yeah. I'd love to, man, because my sleep's been suffering at the moment. I was just really struggling. I don't know whether it's just getting older or having to wake up two or three times to go to the toilet. That's another <laughs> issue. <laughs> you know, Prostate health coming yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just too much shit going through my brain. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I've got so much stuff in my head and I can't go back to sleep. I don't know. My, my sleep is an issue at the moment. Uh, I've even resorted to taking some melatonin randomly. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to take too much of it because yeah. obviously, you know, being a hormone, you start supplementing with hormones, your body stops producing, producing it naturally. But to be honest, the melatonin has worked massively. Melatonin is really good uh, anti-inflammatory. It is. As well, yeah, so I read that too, very, yeah. Very, very, very effective. But I'm just really cautious of taking too much of it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. You know what? I tried it. I wonder if it's a bit like, um, it kind of, I feel like it has the opposite effect on me, melatonin. Oh. Mm. Keeps me up. I don't know. Maybe you should do a line of coke before you go to bed. Maybe, then. yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm like, uh, maybe I'm coffee. ADD. <laughs> yeah, and you pass out. You yeah. go to sleep. You know, like how a Dexy, if you take a Dexy and it, you're ADD, it keeps you level, and if you're not, then it. Yeah, the opposite. The opposite. Sleep ADD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's hey, a, that's sorry. another another topic, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I'm um, just moving away from inflammation, but just, yeah. just out of curiosity, have any of you guys have tested your inflammation levels? I reckon you would have, CJ. Yeah, yeah. I uh, will. Yeah, we we did talk about things we could test for in the last episode and C-reactive protein yeah. is, is, an is a marker of Ooh. inflammation. So that if you can explain that to your doctor and the reasons why you want to take it. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So I get mine tested and if I think it's, I think above one is bad. Yeah. I don't know what the reference range is, but I mean, as in, I don't know what the, the number means. It's, it's a marker of your C-reactive protein, which is a yeah. marker of inflammation. But so that, but that, sorry, mate, uh, that can't identify where that inflammation is originating no. from. It's just a generic. No, so even inflammation if, marker. if you if you crook, so um, if if I got my blood tested at the time and I had a cold or COVID, I would say it would be higher. Oh, um, massively higher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had a family member who had got uh, quite a serious bacterial infection. They measured. Um, C-reactive protein was up at like 80. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, like you say, we're sort of aiming for maybe less than one, but a yeah. lot of people in the wellness world would want it to be uh, less than 0.5. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So even even if you had a, a sore back or, you know, something like that, that might be yeah. – that might push it up. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's yep. a good way to test it. Really cheap to test as well. Again, it's a bit like vitamin D. If you're going to go and get your vitamin D tested, chuck in C-reactive protein. Yeah. costs almost nothing. Yeah. Go for the high sensitivity C-reactive protein. It's yeah. a much more accurate test. They're, they're reluctant. They're more reluctant. Doctors are more reluctant to give you that one. Yeah, it's a funny one. I think it costs one dollar extra mm. if you pay for it yourself. Yeah. So I'm sure the Medicare subsidised one is. Uh, maybe there's some difference there in their billing code yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. I'd really like to maybe discuss in another podcast uh, the things that we can test for. That, that would be a great podcast. Because, I mean, you're always having a chat to people and they go, oh, you know, I reckon we're every six months you should go and get everything tested yeah. <laughs> you know, to see where my body's at. That's yeah. a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring your wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I can I can bring in mine and show you the ones that I can that you can get for free. Yeah, you cool. Just go in and ask your doctor. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, all I said was um, I've changed my dietary habits and I just wanted to see if these things had affected Yeah. And if you can explain the reasons why you want certain ones, then yeah. it's all good. Might even be providing your, your GP with a little bit of education himself, mate. Possibly. Yeah. A lot of them wouldn't even understand what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, I think that would be a good one to talk about. And I've gone yeah. down a different route to you, CJ. I've, I've paid for my own testing through some oh, private yeah. providers. It was still – it was expensive. It was sort of a couple of hundred dollars, yeah. but it allowed me to get uh, everything that I wanted. I didn't have to go and – Sort of speak to a doctor, and I guess by the time you pay for a doctor's consult, sometimes that can, yeah, even some of that out if you don't have a bulk mm. billing doctor. But yeah. I reckon that'd be a really good. Topic. What did you get tested, mate? If you don't mind, uh, a whole range of things. I had ten yeah. or twelve different things, but yeah. definitely uh, vitamin D was on there. I, I tested uh, two different types of vitamin D, so one twenty five and twenty five OH, which are two different types of vitamin D, and I definitely tested the high sensitivity C-reactive protein, uh, insulin like growth factor, lipoprotein A. All my cholesterols, uh, some some of my hormones, um, liver health, kidney health. Yeah. Uh, there was a range of other ones on there as well. So I, I wanted to do a reasonably big screen. 
Um, but yeah, it'd be good to talk about that. It should be a great, yeah, great discussion. Yeah, yeah. I'd really like to get into that. So I guess getting sort of towards the end of the podcast, is sure. there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? I think we got we got the main the main systematic inflammation causes and and things that we can do yeah to mitigate against those. I don't know. Do we well, quite a topical one. Um, you know, hearing a lot in the news about pericarditis and myocarditis. Mm. Two, Itis. two conditions <laughs> I've never even heard about. You know, pericarditis being inflammation of the the sac that envelops your heart. And myocarditis being inflammation of the heart muscle itself. I'll just tell you briefly, Rue, I was a paramedic on the road in Perth for about seven years and um, didn't really see any of it. wasn't a thing. I've heard, it seemed, I've heard seems to be extremely prevalent now. I've heard so many paramedics say the same thing, mate. And so, look, whether it's COVID or something else, who knows, but there certainly seems to be an increase in it. Maybe it's something we've taken for COVID. Well... Um, I won't be shy and saying, mate, it's the it's a it's a vaccine side effect, really. And my it, mum it, got it is, mate, yeah. pericarditis, and uh, she she is an older woman who's sort of a bit more trusting in medical the medical profession and, and whatever. But she she swears that it was her getting the vaccine, yeah. Um, uh, and and you know, yeah, nothing to see here. Well, I mean, spike protein is incredibly pro-inflammatory. Yeah. So. And and, and, yeah, that, look, and those damages, those infl- so mate, those inflammations to your heart, they they stay around a long time, don't they? That that myocarditis, that's a, a long term thing. It, it can be, yeah, yeah. yeah. It depends on the severity and a few other things, but yeah, it definitely can can uh, cause to can cause long lasting damage. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people that suffer it have to go on medication, possibly, yeah, and reduce their exercise levels. So yeah, maybe another contributing factor to inflammation could be. Drugs, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even even you know prescription drugs, that, drugs that are supposed to help us, can cause inflammation somewhere else. Mm. Most definitely, yep, mm. yep. I think what we've touched on today is live a clean life, get get back to nature, get your vitamin D levels up, get out in the sun, eat good food, exercise, sleep, sleep, sleep. a bit more. Yeah, and we can. T- we'll, I've made a note of a few fo- a few follow up podcasts we can do, but sleep was definitely one of them. Yeah, I think Mickey Mac. Um, he, he touched on it too. Just listen to your body. Yeah. You know, just listen yeah. to your body and just think maybe it could be some inflammation causing this problem that I've got. You know, this stiffness in the hip, this clicking here, this sort of arthritic pain in my fingers on my knees. Just think about it. Maybe it's an inflammation thing. But what can I do to reduce my inflammation levels? Yep. And you don't you have to tackle it all at once. You don't have to do every single thing we've listed today. Just choose one thing if it's a bit daunting. Just choose whatever you think is most uh, most appropriate for you and, and go from there you yeah. might you might notice some really good change way to finish up mickey you got anything else you want to pop in there no i think i think we've covered it all off guys and I, I think just an important note though in finishing is is to remind people that at the point that you're getting chronic inflammation you've potentially been developing it for quite a long time so even if you do make one or a couple of these changes you know, a lot of the time it won't just be a quick fix. It isn't going to be something that, you know, reverses itself in a matter of days. You might need to commit to the the process of regaining your health for equally as long as what you have taking it into negative health. So, right, yeah. you know, just be patient and, and know that, uh, as we've said on many occasions, the things you're doing here, uh, you know, not that we're doctors as we continually say, but... That they are good for you, uh, and uh, and and they it's likely they will have some form of positive impact on your health. Yep. Good point, mate. Good, good point. Stuff. Great finish. way to finish, I think. Just have a crack. Yep. Yeah. Good chat, fellas. Important topic. Yeah. Good stuff. Until. Hey, well, I reckon we've got to do a podcast with a couple of frothies. Just yep. you know, just update the inf- inflammation. In the gut, yeah. <laughs> it's all about balance, isn't it? It might knock off a bit of stress, so maybe we'll have a net, yeah. uh, net you know. But we've knocked balance. off a few serious episodes here, yeah. You know, starting with the mental health and all that. The, the president one was pretty f- bit of fun. Uh, maybe we just get together and chat about something a little bit, bit off the cuff, maybe you know, have a couple of beers and enjoy each other's company over that. Not that I don't enjoy your company without <laughs> beers, good. yeah. It does take like a couple of beers to enjoy our company. <laughs> well, I've got a few nice uh, gluten-free beers coming across from a nice brewery over oh, in nice. Victoria. So, uh, yeah. yeah, excellent. Give it. them a plug. Maybe you can give them get a get them responses, mate. Two Bays Brewery. I love their yeah. work. They <laughs> yeah. just released a lovely sounding uh, almond porter, almond milk porter. Oh. 
uh, gluten free. There you go. Will Some you bring the uh, the beers, mate? I'll bring the organic wine. Right on. Let's do it. Mm. Okay, lads. Good until stuff. then. All right. Until next time. See you, boys. See you guys. See you guys.